Welcome to the Innovation and Compliance Podcast, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day, more profitably. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode and you're in for a double treat this week because with me, Erica Salmon Byrne and Doug Allen, both from Ethisphere, and we're here to talk about the 2022 World's Most Ethical Companies Award put out annual, annually by Ethisphere. So both Erica and Doug, first of all, welcome, and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Thanks for having us, Tom. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, thank you, Tom. Great to hear from you again. I wondered if we could start out by you telling our listeners what both of your current roles are at Ethisphere. Yeah, so Tom, I am officially within Ethisphere, the managing director of our advisory group. I've been with the organization for almost 13 years at this point and spend a lot of my time working with the team responsible for developing the methodologies and the research and the processes that underpin a lot of what goes into the world's most ethical companies process. So I've been had, had the privilege to be working with Erica for almost that entire time, and we've got a great team supporting us. And with that, Erica, I'll turn it over to you for your background. Thanks, Doug. And Tom, my official title is EVP and Chair of Bella. That's, of course, our Business Ethics Leadership Alliance. But under the EVP hat, I spend a lot of my time working with Doug and the rest of the team, particularly around the things that we measure as part of the world's most ethical companies process. And so you can think of me as a little bit of an evangelist for the work that we do here. I spend a lot of time talking and writing about the importance of appropriate uh, ethical behavior for companies and thinking through sort of the business reasons why it matters so much. But then in my day-to-day, I get to get my hands into the survey itself and, and work with the team to say, let's phrase the manager training questions this way this year and things along those lines. So it's a lot of fun to have my feet in both worlds. I wanted to see if I could visit with you all a little bit about the background on the World's Most Ethical Company Awards. And if I could start with, what is the World's Most Ethical Companies Award and process? And then how long has it been ongoing? Yeah, so I'll be, I'll be happy to take that question. So this is our 16th year of running the world's most ethical companies program. It, it's always crazy to say that out loud, but uh, believe it or not, we've been running it for almost two decades at this point. And to get an understanding of why we really developed this program, this effort, it helps to first just quickly touch a little bit about what Ethisphere does generally as an organization, sort of why we were founded in the first place. And the three tenets that really underpin Ethisphere broadly are We're an organization that looks to define what's good in terms of how businesses do business with integrity. We look to measure and improve in all facets of integrity and then curating and convening organizations of like cultures and natures to get them together to really rise all tides again with the purpose of advancing standards of ethical practices across the business community. The world's most ethical companies program is really the purest manifestation of all these key tenets of what Ethisphere does, right? So it's this program we developed back in 2006, where we really look to celebrate and recognize organizations who are doing business the right way. And when we first got founded, there were plenty of ways in which organizations were classified as doing business poorly or who were being well publicized for having reputation issues. But there really wasn't a standard or a gold seal of approval for organizations who were actually going out of their way to do business well and the right way. So that's really where this program came to be. And so we're, uh, again, in our 16th year, it's, it's a process where we've, we recognize companies through a very rigorous application system and program that's underpinned with a robust questionnaire and materials 
that looks to not only assess and really measure organizations and how they're performing, but also re results in a process that gives organizations a roadmap and a plan on how to improve throughout the year and going forward as well. Yeah, the only thing I would add to Doug's summary, Tom, which is, is excellent, is we had somebody the other day use a phrase that I particularly love to describe what Ethisphere does. And this person said, you know, the thing I really appreciate about the way you all approach this is you pull the practical out of the theoretical. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that was a really great sort of synopsis of how we approach these issues. Because, you know, you read the sentencing guidelines or you read the DOJ guidance, and it's, it's deliberately written very broadly because it needs to apply to, to all kinds of different organizations. And we spend a lot of our time taking that very broad strokes sort of guidance that we see from the, from the regulators and from you know, some of the cases that have come out and saying, what does this look like in practice? What are the markers of an independent ethics and compliance program, for example, right? What are the things we can ask in a survey that would give us a sense that this is a chief compliance officer that really has access to the audit committee. Oh, hey, what if we ask, can you be terminated without the audit committee knowing? What if we ask about performance evaluation questions? What do we ask about, you know, that's the work our team does is to really try for companies to pull the practical out of the theoretical. So, Eric, I've had the chance to visit with you over the years annually on the world's most ethical company awards. But I wanted to maybe ask if you could go back 15 or 16 years and really talk mm -hmm. about some of the key findings over the years, because that's one part of what I see as a great benefit of the world's most ethical awards. But there's others that we're going to explore later in this podcast. But really, what have you seen now for the scope of the 15 and 16 years you've been doing this? Yeah, I think, Tom, you know, it's, it's interesting because we update the survey annually. We've just now finished our, our annual update process. And I think one of the, the most interesting things for me is to go back and look at those early surveys, the 2006, 2007, 2008 surveys, and then look at how much bigger the survey is now, for one thing. We're now running at about 210, 212 questions that the average company is going to answer as part of the process. And it's really been an interesting evolution as we have watched other pieces of the puzzle get added in, right? So several years ago, we added questions around supply chain compliance and how are you really evaluating not just whether you have the right reps and warranties in your contracts with your third parties. At this point, it's kind of tables, you know, is, is past table stakes. And, you know, how are you actually making sure that your third parties are capable of doing the things that they have committed to do in the contracts? You know, several years ago, we added questions around human rights, right? How are you thinking about the Modern Slavery Act compliance and how are you thinking about human rights and, and trafficking in the supply chain? And so if I think about trends, you know, the, the thing I would I would say is probably the, the biggest trend over the course of the last 15 years is the expansion of what it means to be a company that operates with integrity. And we are seeing that right now, of course, you know, no more so than in the definitions, the various definitions of ESG that are out there. And if you look at the various component pieces of our survey, we're touching on a lot of those pieces, right? How are you measuring culture? How are you thinking about human capital management? How are you thinking about supply chain compliance? How are you thinking about mental health and wellness in the workplace? How are you giving back to the communities that you engage with? So all of those pieces that go to this idea that a corporation is more than just a legal fiction, it's an entity that operates via its people inside the communities. And that has been the biggest expansion we've seen over the course of the last 15 years is all of these different pieces that touch on that, that really go into this idea of, are you a business that is thinking broadly about the stakeholders that matter to you and measuring the impact that you have on those different stakeholder groups? 
And of course, the other thing I would, I would touch on very briefly is manager training, right? 15 years ago, we weren't asking you anything at all about how you're prepping your managers to be good ethical leaders. And now it's a whole, it's a whole section in the survey. So just really that kind of expansion of the role and thinking really broadly about the impact a corporation has on its communities. In my last corporate position, I was a consumer from Ethisphere and a consumer, not only Ethisphere products and services, but also your thought leadership. And early on, I think it was sort of maybe 08, 09, when I first became aware of the world's most ethical company awards, I was struck by the ethics premium. And back then it was 4.5%. And that's how much I remember it. It's still in my mind. And that 4.5% was companies that had been designated world's most ethical award winners at a 4.5% higher return than companies, I believe, in the Standard Poor's 500 average. That dynamic has changed quite a bit. But Eric, I wanted to use that to maybe ask you, why is the world's most ethical company designation so powerful, not for individual companies, but for the compliance community as a whole? You know, it's interesting, Tom, because, you know, we we have this debate internally a lot because we don't look at company stock performance when we put them on the list. And so when we get the analysis back from our, our outside analysts every year that do the ethics premium calculations for us, you know, it's a little bit of sort of edge of your seat. Like, is it still there? Is it still there? Is our thesis still holding? I think the reason it's such a powerful tool is it is very, very easy, particularly in this environment, to get so caught up in short-term impact, short-term planning, right? Quarter-to-quarter results, quarter-over-quarter improvements. What am I doing next month? What am I doing next week? What am I doing, you know, two days from now? And what our analysis over the years has done is we have shown that companies who think about doing business with the interests of all their stakeholders in mind and a long-term perspective really do outperform their competitors. And that is a way to build a dam against the short-termism that is more than just sticking your finger in the hole in the wall, right? It's an opportunity to push back against excessive, you know, sort of chasing of goals to be able to say, no, we really will be able to attract the best employees. We really will be able to have lower turnover rates. We really will be able to outperform our competitors if we keep our purpose and our ethos at our core. And that's been our message, you know, for 15 years. I have to say it's pretty gratifying to, you know, to, to be able to demonstrate that thesis year over year. How does Ethisphere annually announce the world's most ethical company award designations? Yeah, Tom, I'll be happy to, to speak to that. So we use a few different modalities to communicate the, the recognition. So to give folks listening in a, a broad sense of timing. So applications open up generally in the early August timeframe. So we've just announced a few weeks back the 2022 world's most ethical companies process. And the application period runs from August until about the middle of November, when everything is due. The team spends the next several months reviewing, aggregating, and assessing what's come in in terms of applications. And generally, companies are notified privately at the end of January. And I say privately because we understand the sensitivity around you know, going through this process, applying for this designation. And for those who aren't recognized, we make a explicit reference that we only announce those who do make the list, right? We There's no acknowledgement or public pronouncement of anyone who goes through the process and is not recognized. So we make all private announcements at the end of January, and then we prepare a more broad release publicly, typically in the middle of February, right? So about the February 15th, I think is our tentative plan date for, for 2022. 
where we announce publicly the entire list who, uh, of organizations who make uh, the designation for a given year. And along that comes with, of course, you know, celebrations and recognitions and so on. But I think the culmination of, of the program really occurs in April at what we call our Gala Awards event, as well as our Global Ethics Summit, which is the Gala Awards Dinner is really essentially our, our celebration event, recognizing, celebrating, and inspiring the community that underpins the world's most ethical companies program. So that's really where we have a chance to put the spotlight on each company individually, inspire through guest speakers. And it's really a fantastic event we've put on several years. We're really hoping to do it again in person this year in New York City. I think we're still making those decisions now. But again, that's been sort of the the, the pinnacle announcement occurs in that, that April timeframe. Let me change the focus just a little bit because we talked about what the world's most ethical company designation means for the compliance community. But I've talked to a lot of CCO types who have gone through the process. And I've really come around to thinking that the process can't say it's more important than what it means to the community, but at least equally important, but maybe even more important that the process for the individual company. So I really wanted to ask one, within your collective knowledge, would that be a fair assessment? And two, maybe if you could detail a little bit about the rigor of the process, because I just think that the more I hear about people and go through it, the more I talk to you guys and understand what goes into it. I think it's just a uh, a very, very good exercise for every company to go through. Yeah, Tom, we completely agree. We completely agree. And so you had mentioned the importance of even going through the process. And this is a point Eric had brought up earlier. The survey that comprises a, a large part of the, the selection process is updated on an annual cadence, right? So this is a process and a methodology that we review as a team every year with input from the community, with input from independent subject matter experts, with feedback from recently released regulation, regulatory guidance that's come out throughout the year. So this is an evolving, growing, developing process that, again, gets looked at by experts across many different disciplines and dimensions every single year. So just by engaging with the application process itself, you get a very clear and detailed description of really where trends are going, right? You can see what we're looking at in terms of the focus of our measurement. The answer options provide great roadmaps in terms of options and considerations to make when looking at various elements of your program. So, Tom, I think you've exactly nailed the point in that just by going through the exercise of reviewing your program in the context of the questions we ask and the documentations that we request, you get a very clear sense of, you know, where trends are going and where the experts are thinking, where regulatory guidance is perhaps pointing companies to. So it's, again, going through the process itself, reviewing the questions is an incredibly valuable exercise independent of the recognition that may or may not come as a result of it. Well, in listening to Erica talk about some of the new areas that have been brought in for inquiry over the years, it also strikes me that this process could be used almost as a gap analysis Uh and a gap analysis perhaps for your entire program, but also individual components that you may be strong in one area but may find in other areas, and you specifically mentioned uh, management training, it could be middle management training, it could be tone, but other areas that you might see an area that uh, would lend itself to enhancement, if not full remediation. Would that be another way some a company could use this process? Absolutely, Tom. I, I agree with you 100% on that. You know, the, we put a lot of time and energy into revising the survey every year. It's our distillation of everything we've learned over the course of a year, listening to hundreds of companies talk about their programs and really pulling out some of the things that we have seen that have, have particularly impressed us in terms of company practices. And 
I've had a number of compliance officers tell me that, especially since we release an annotated version that shows our red lines year over year, that they just go straight to that. And they say, oh, okay, so this is what it, this is what Ethospheres, you know, this is the distillation of the brain trust, right? Of all the things that, that they've decided to change in the survey this year. And they do use it exactly as a gap analysis. We also, for everybody who applies, you get a scorecard. And so that is our estimation of the areas where you are strong and the areas where you have opportunities for improvement. And that is another critical benefit from our perspective of participating as part of the process is the fact that you get that external assessment of your particular areas of strengths and weaknesses. We've talked about the company side of things, but now let me turn to the ethosphere side of things. And I was wondering if you could detail a little bit after a company submits its application, if that's the right phrase, could you detail the ethosphere process and how you analyze the submissions and really the rigor ethosphere goes through in this process? Yeah, Tom, we'd be happy to. And before getting into sort of the process we undertake, I'll, I'll quickly touch on what's required to apply so folks have an understanding of what exactly the inputs we consider are. And we've mentioned repeatedly the ethics quotient survey. This is the, the robust survey Eric had mentioned that underpins a lot of the quantitative analysis, a lot of the current state analysis of the program and practices in a given organization. So we do ask, first and foremost, that this survey be completed. Supporting those survey responses are a collection of documents we request to look at as part of the, our review. And these include examples of your current trainings, communications, evidence for how the program structured, how are you measuring culture internally. So we use those documents to support and validate several sections of the survey, but also to get a sense and flavor of the maturity, quality, the robustness of the overall program as well across an organization. And so those are the two primary asks of a given applicant company. And so when we receive those materials on or before that November timeline, what we also do is our own independent reputation analysis as well. So a key component of, of recognizing companies is looking at their reputation their legal history, their track record of, of ethical conduct in the marketplace. We go back five years for every given company that applies to get a feeling and get a sense of that history, right, that context. And that's something we do as, a, as an assessment team. We do that through both publicly available research and publicly available media sources, but we also have a partnership with Factiva that supplies a lot of the inputs regarding those that, that background and reputation research. So it's with the reputation research, the survey completion, and the documents that we then consider at the end of November in terms of making the selection process. And the process we use is the survey everyone fills out lands or provides what we call an unverified ethics quotient score for a given company's application, right? So it's, it's a rudimentary score that in a way summarizes the performance of the organization's application. What we then go through and do as a team is we then review all of the open-ended text comments submitted as part of that survey. We review any written commentary provided as part of that application. We provide responses in context of documents. We review all the documents and make adjustments, modifications, and additions based upon what we found in sort of that qualitative analysis side. And then again, as I mentioned, the reputation research, that also underpins the scoring we do. And so we make modifications to that unverified score based upon what we found in our qualitative analysis to arrive at what's called your ethics quotient score, your overall EQ score for the application. And because what we look at in our process is applicable to companies around the world, of organizations of all shapes and sizes, we then look at the applicant community as a whole, and then we group or combine or organize the applicants into like peer sets of organizations. And so we look at both from an operational standpoint, generally industry or sector, but also geographic reach, 
organization structure, public-private, and put these organizations into like groups that we can then compare against one another using that ethics quotient score as the basis, right? And it's within that context amongst these peer groups, those who perform the best, both from a scoring perspective, but also from a reputation perspective, are the organizations that make our list in any given year. And again, this is what the team does through that November to about January timeframe is doing these analyses, doing these reviews and coming up with these lists across different sections. Eric, if I, if I could ask you, what's new for 2022 and why did you make the changes? Yeah, so there's there's some great stuff that's new for 2022, Tom. We keep telling our community, we're really going to leave the survey alone. We're going to stop redlining it. And <laughs> every year it, <laughs> it doesn't happen. Mm. So this year, there's a lot of changes, as there were last year. I I think a few things that I would highlight for the people that are listening in. We changed around and added to the set of questions that we ask about onboarding a new director. So one of the things we have seen a lot of over the course of the last couple of years is companies that are making some pretty significant changes to their board makeup. This, of course, was pre the NASDAQ, the SEC approving NASDAQ's board diversity rule, which may also involve some other changes for those companies that are NASDAQ listed. But we have seen a lot of turnover at the board level for a lot of the companies in our community. And we've been asking people a lot of questions about how they onboard a new director, right? How do you orient them to the business? How do you orient them to the company's risk profile? And this year, we added some questions around which functions would a new director traditionally sit down with? And so, you know, are they sitting down as part of that orientation process with the ethics and compliance function separate from legal, right? Is there a specific sort of orientation to the ethics and compliance program at the organization? for whom they're going to assume oversight responsibilities. We have added questions, continue to add questions around manager training, and particularly how are you thinking about preparing your managers to be effective ethical leaders? What kind of activities are you engaging in, particularly around talking to them about how important it is to avoid retaliation uh, situations in the event of an investigation inside the business, their part of the business rather. That is, we, we particularly tweaked some of those questions in response to the EU whistleblower directive that will go into effect, of course, at the end of the year, and some of the specific, you know, language that is added around burden shifting around retaliation. So manager training is a is an area of increased focus for us and a lot of the companies we work with. We tweaked the questions around culture. That is a continuing topic of interest to our community and the companies that we engage with. So there's more questions around how you're measuring culture, how you're impacting culture, who's reporting to the board on culture, what do those report lines look like. We added questions around the program structure to get more effectively at the division of labor between the ethics and compliance program. If it is inside of legal or reporting into another part of the business, who's actually got responsibility for what? Who's in the boardroom when those presentations are happening? Does the board have input into the performance evaluation of the person who actually is running the program? We've tweaked the questions over the years a lot of different ways trying to get at the double-hatted GC. Right. So the general counsel, who's also the chief compliance officer, but isn't spending more than 20 percent of their time on the chief compliance officer role and really has somebody running the program on the day to day. Who is that person who's running it day to day? What does their scope look like? Who are they talking to? Who are they reporting to? Who's setting their compensation? Those kinds of questions. So we, we, we really spent a lot of time working with that program resources section of the survey. The impact section, which is our sort of ESG focused section outside of the culture and governance pieces that we ask about in other parts of the survey, we did a lot of work in that section as well, looking at the ways in which companies are reporting on, particularly reporting on the key performance indicators around their ESG efforts. Those were just a couple of the quick highlights. And it really is, you know, as Doug and I have both said, 
something that we do in response to what we see in the community. So trends we're seeing, things we're seeing from regulators, kind of that compilation of all of the time and energy that we spend focused on these issues. Could I ask who should apply for the world's most ethical company designation? Yeah, Tom. So I mentioned previously, it's a process we've we've designed to accommodate organizations around the world. Generally, larger organizations tend to do better in our process than those who are quite small. This is sub 100 million in revenue, sub 50 million in revenue. However, those organizations aren't disqualified. You again, this is a process we developed intentionally to be applicable to organizations around the world of any sector and industry, by and large, of just about any size as well. You can see from our list of past honorees that, again, we've had organizations from small coffee providers to large retailers to large software companies and everything in between. So again, it's it's an open process that we welcome all to view the methodology and, and partake in the process. There are some organizations where, due to limitations in our in our general benchmarking and our ability to analyze that, we simply don't have eligibility for these organizations. These largely include government-owned enterprises, not-for-profit educational institutions like universities, and so on. So there's some ineligibility requirements regarding the, the nature of some organizations, but for organizations, generally speaking, it's we design it to be quite broad in its applicability. How do you respond and, and- to a question along the lines of, you know, we'd love to apply, but we're just not ready? Not ready for benchmarking? (laughs) Um, That's really the thing that it comes down to for me, Tom, is some of this, I think, goes to the question of how you position the application process inside your organization, right? If you have been thinking about applying for World's Most Ethical, but the internal conversations have been, we're not ready because of X, then I can understand feeling like you're not ready, right? If you think about applying for World's Most Ethical Companies as a way of understanding where you stand against your peer sets, Everybody's ready for that, right? That's one of the things I think is because it is, it's a competitive process. A lot of people feel like, well, I'm not going to apply if I can't win, right? And there are so many benefits to applying that have nothing to do with winning. And that's, I think, the thing that, you know, that the Doug and I, if your listeners walk away with no other message from this conversation, the message I'd like them to walk away with is there are lots and lots and lots of reasons to apply that have nothing to do with whether we're ultimately going to recognize you. And everything to do with the fact that this is a critically important control function inside your organization that you're seeking to improve. And if you think about it that way, then everybody should go through this process. There's no good reason not to if you don't think about it as a contest. Yeah. And Erica, one benefit we, we failed to bring up earlier, but to really emphasize the point of developing that control function, we've begun awarding, not awarding, but for anyone who does go through the process, we have what we call an associate level membership with our Business Ethics Leadership Alliance that is granted to you at the conclusion of the process. So this gives you, as an applicant, access to a great suite of resources, to some select events that we put on that consists of discussions with your peers in various communities. And again, resources to help you take the feedback provided from the scorecard and the data you see from the findings themselves and really turn them into more action actionable you know plans throughout the year right so we've really tried to surround this process with not only the data that we always have historically provided to those who go through it and help them benefit their program but also to provide community to provide some resources to help them progress their programs even further for this year so that's something we've, we've introduced new for the 2022 year is this new for uh, associate level Bella membership for those who go through the process as well Two of the biggest changes I have seen in the compliance profession during the pandemic and even now, whatever state we're in of the pandemic, is the 
nature of risks have expanded and the speed of change has increased exponentially. And I really wanted to use that as an introduction. I find the world's most ethical application process even more important than perhaps it was in 2019. And I really wanted to get you all's opinion. Would that be a a fair assessment? And utilizing the not simply the tools you have talked about available through Ethosphere, but also the process and the review of that process, would it be fair to say that the world's most ethical company application process is even more important now? Tom, I think it would be fair. And one of the things in particular that I would point to is the change that we're seeing in the labor market, right? The labor market is tighter than ever right now, and people are looking to be able to hire. Every day I see somebody you know, posting a new role on LinkedIn where they're looking for somebody who's going to come in and, and make a substantive impact on their program. And I think if we look at the broad inclinations of the generations that are in the workforce right now, the idea that you can build the types of communications with your, with your particularly younger employees into your process that say, this is who we are as a company. This is our purpose. This is why we get out of bed in the morning. And all of that is the kind of work that the ethics and compliance profession really underpins. So, you know, things like the cross work that we're seeing so many companies do right now between ethics and compliance and diversity and inclusion, and really thinking carefully about how that messaging supports and works with each other. All of those pieces are underpinning the WMEC process, right, the application process itself, and thinking through the ways in which you can use the application process to identify places where perhaps you are not having the input you'd like to have as an effects compliance professional inside your organization or identify a new partner, right? One of the things that people tell us all the time is the process of completing the survey required me to go meet people I don't normally work with. I don't usually have a reason to go talk to the corporate secretary. I don't usually have a reason to go talk to procurement. I don't have a, you know, and so the process of pulling together the cross-functional input necessary to respond to the application helps you to identify some of those relationship gaps that you may have had across your organization. And ultimately, I think over the course of time, we are going to see more and more pressure. And you mentioned, Tom, that kind of fast change, the speed at which things are moving. The ability to be one company on the inside and somebody else on the outside is gone, right? It's gone. You are, whoever you are to your employee base is who you are to the outside world. And who you are to the outside world is who you are to your employee base. And so harmonizing those voices is going to be a critical task for compliance professionals, risk professionals across the globe and making sure that that you understand the story you're telling internally and its external impact and vice versa. And that's really, I think, where part of the world's most ethical companies process can come into play. Erica, the information in your answer strikes me that this also would allow a compliance practitioner to not simply talk to corporate functions or corporate disciplines they don't normally talk to but also perhaps have oversight or at least insight if something does come up in one of those areas, whether it is a, a social media event, whether it's employees who uh, become disgruntled, but a wide variety, it really allows the CCO to put their collective finger on the pulse of, of literally every group in the organization. Would that be fair as well? Absolutely. Yep, absolutely. And particularly for companies that are repeat applicants that have the opportunity to go back and say, this is the way we answered this question this year, last year. Is this still true, right? Because that's one of the things for repeat applicants, they have their prior survey answers as part of the process. And so they can go back and say, okay, well, this, you know, this is what we were doing last year. Is this still true? 
and really be able to do some of that tracking and trending from inside their organization over the course of years. Unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I was wondering if our listeners wanted any more information on Ethisphere, the world's most ethical company designation, and most importantly, how to start that process or even find out more about some of the topics we've talked about, where could they go? Yeah, Tom, the, the best place to go for more information is would be our website, worldsmostethicalcompanies.com. We've got a, a great big start your application process button right on the homepage for folks who are interested. I do want to, to say that Everything that we describe as part of the requirements of going through the application process, so the ethics quotient survey, our documentation guidelines, we provide them right away at the outset of the process. We provide them to anyone who's interested. So submit that interest form, get access to those materials, take a look, right? See if this is something you'd be interested in. But we provide all of the, the required materials in advance of you deciding whether or not you actually want to go through the process. So we invite everyone to head to the website, download the application materials, check out our application guide, get a sense and feel for what we're asking and the depth of the questionnaire. And we certainly make ourselves available as an assessment team for any questions that do come up. So sort of our inbox that we all share is wmeapplications at ethosphere.com, where folks can email us questions about specific elements of the application, requirements, questions about the ethics quotient survey as well. So we invite any and all questions to come into that channel as well. We've also started doing every other week some regular office hour session as well. So members of the evaluation team will, will jump on a webcast-like format. We'll, we'll engage with the community, answer questions. We had our first one last week. went really well. So we invite folks to join us for those discussions as well to, to get questions addressed. But again, everything that is part of that required application process, we provide freely. Come to our website, access those yourself, and, and get a sense of the, the process as well. Well, guys, this has been a, a great episode. I have certainly learned a lot. I know our listeners will as well. We're going to link to the information you detailed, Doug, in our show notes. I wanted to thank you guys again for not only appearing on this podcast, but literally everything you do for the compliance community. So I look forward to continuing this conversation. Thanks so much for having us, Tom. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. Tom, really appreciate it. If you want to stay up to date on the latest innovations in compliance and help your business run more efficiently, subscribe to this podcast and help spread the word by leaving a review.